couple of verses we'll be looking at, starting at the top on the left-hand side, working our way down. Acts 27, 9. I'm sure what's going on. Acts 27, 9. Uh, if you have it, let's read it in unison to help me out, okay? Then I'll ask God to help us understand. I'll pray and ask God to help us. Let's read it together. Here we go, Acts 27, 9. Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, stop there, let's pray. Our God and Father, how thankful we are for the good news. But we also pray right now that you help us through the Holy Spirit to understand the word of God, uh, that he might illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth. And as we are yielded to him who is the truth, our Lord Jesus, we pray that same Holy Spirit would not only enlighten our minds but empower us to live out the truth to the glory of that name which is above every name. For it's in the name of our Messiah Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now when we take a look at Acts 27, that deals with the shipwreck of Paul. And maybe you're familiar with the shipwreck. I took a verse out because when Luke was recording this historical incident, he wanted to let us know the time of year when this, uh, the sailing was going on and why it was dangerous. And you notice what he says there. He says the time of the fast, because the fast was already over. You say, what in the world are these people talking about? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The time of the fast was over. Well, what may be unusual for us was normal for all the believers in the first century. And so Luke wrote this, expecting believers to get it immediately. You say, well, what do you mean? What is the fast? That's another name uh, for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In order to express our faith, uh, normally during Day of Atonement, we fast. In order to humble ourselves before God. And so in Isaiah 58 and in, in Zechariah 8, it is also called the fast, Hatzom in the Hebrew. And that's one of the names for Day of Atonement. And so Luke wrote this, and in order to give us a time marker, he puts in there the, time, the day the fast was already over. Now we would say, well, who would understand that? He thought all believers would understand it. You say, what got into him to think such a thing? The first century, they were observing the festivals. All the apostles, all the believers, this was on the church calendar. It would be like me writing now and saying, you know, uh, things were getting real, the weather was getting bad uh, because Labor Day was over with. You'd say, well, Labor Day, everyone, everyone knows about Labor Day. Everyone knew about the fast, Day of Atonement. you say, well, why would they? Because our faith is actually based upon the Day of Atonement. Watch this. How many of you are thankful that Jesus is your atonement? Raise your hand. People raise, they don't, you may not even know what atonement means, but you just, Jesus is everything, so raise your hand. <laughs> uh, he is the one 
who died for our sins. And therefore, he, he made uh, the sacrifice for our forgiveness at one minute, reconciliation with God. That's what atonement means. Uh, and so we want to understand it that way. And so all believers understood it because uh, the feast, the celebration, uh, the observance of Day of Atonement was foundational to our faith. Every element of it had to do with our faith in Jesus. And that's why the writer of Hebrews, chapter 9 and 10, deals with the Day of Atonement only once a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies. Once a year to give the annual sacrifice to reconcile Israel as a servant nation to God. Once a year. Well, in light of that once a year, he then says, "We Jesus fulfilled it once and for all. And so it's against the backdrop of the Day of Atonement that he talks about the once and for all sacrifice that we have in Jesus. And so the writers of the Bible, the writers of the New Testament, thought that we would all get this stuff. Uh, but some of us are still growing in it, speaking of myself. And so there's always more to learn as we grow together in the things of God. So as we want to understand now, how in the world is the Day of Atonement foundational to our faith, our faith in the Messiah? Well, we want to take a look now, with that in mind, at the portion in Leviticus chapter 23. If you want to study in depth about the Day of Atonement, there's several sections of Scripture that deal with it. In Leviticus chapter 23, we see outlined all seven festivals. All You say, why seven? Why seven? The word seven in the Hebrew, Shava, is the same word for making a vow. You say, what? God keeps his word. The festivals are his testimony that he will redeem humanity. And therefore, he keeps his word. So all seven festivals are meant to remind us God is faithful. He will keep his word. And therefore, we have great hope in God. Uh, my faith is not in my faithfulness. My faith is in his faithfulness. Can I get an amen out of that one? <laughs> sure. Every day I realize how little I have to trust in myself. Now that can be unnerving, since before I knew the Lord, I was the only one I trusted in. All my strategies for living were based upon me. Everything I knew how to get done, I knew because of what I could do. Coming to faith in Jesus, I realize I can't trust in myself in anything. Oh, that's not true. I can trust in the fact that I will blow it. I will say it out loud. I will fumble the ball. I'll mess up. I have a lot of faith in my own failure, by the way. <laughs> but his faithfulness is my hope. And therefore, as we understand the truths of the Bible, we realize all that we learn about our Savior must increase. Amen? He must increase, and I must 
That's how it rolls. If you're going to grow in the Lord, there's going to be less of you, more of him. That's how it happens. You say, well, won't I be the better person? <laughs> if less is better. In other words, what God is doing throughout the Bible is conforming us to the image of the Son, being transformed by the renewing of our mind to the fullness and stature of the Son of God. We're going to grow up to be like Him. Now, we'll have our own personalities, but our character is being transformed uh, to Messiah. We're growing up into Him. More of Him, less of me, and my own nuttiness, okay? So with that in mind, if you want to really do a deep study, my book, of course, will be helpful to you. But... Uh, there's a number of sections of scripture that deal with it in depth. And for those taking notes, and there's always a few nerds in every group who take notes. You know who you are. So you want to be studying Leviticus chapter 16, which gives so much detail on the sacrifices uh, and what's involved with the Day of Atonement. And all of them speak about Jesus. All of them point to him. It's all good. The portion we're looking at now from Leviticus 23 is the outline. And so we see the high notes. We see the high notes in regarding the Day of Atonement. You cool? Good to go? Got the whole dealie going on here? All right. As we consider the matter, uh, we want to take a look now. Leviticus 23, verse 26 to 28. Read it with me if you can, please. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this same day for it's a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. Now, every word you're looking at here in the original Hebrew is in the plural. It's not talking about how do I get saved, but how is the nation restored? In the fall of the year are three festivals. There is the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, which is the gathering of the body. We listen for the trumpet. Then there's the Day of Atonement, the gathering of Israel. And then the gathering of all the nations in the the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this is dealing with a national restoration, even as Paul prophesied, and thus all Israel will be saved, is what the Day of Atonement is pointing to. All the New Testament writers all understood these festivals and taught uh, and wrote about these matters all dealing with the festivals as the backdrop uh, to the teaching. But I want you to notice, it says here in verse 27, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. (coughs) There had to be a bloody offering given. You say, ooh, that's disgusting. (laughs) L'chaim. You know what L'chaim means? What's it mean? Some people think it means to life. Uh, Tim, you'll, you'll correct me on the Ugaritic. 
But I think in the original Ugaritic, it meant, I have water and you don't. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be wrong. In any case, there had to be a bloody offering uh, for there to be atonement. In modern Judaism, they no longer believe in the blood sacrifice. When the temple came down in 70 AD, they understood, the, by the Romans, the Romans destroyed the temple 70 AD. Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 it would happen. But when the temple came down, destroyed by the Romans 70 AD, the rabbis interpreted that to say that God no longer required sacrifices. That's not true. The truth of the matter is the final sacrifice had been made. And therefore, the temple could be destroyed because we have the final sacrifice in the Messiah himself. And so we want to understand the matter. There had to be this bloody sacrifice. And I just want to say, some of us can't get our heads around that. We say, what? why bother? I mean, that seems like disgusting. Who needs that? Well, let's understand a couple of things. Uh, in the Bible, we want to understand, first of all, the results of sin. See, what sin has done, it has separated people from God. You say, oh, no. Oh, hey, buddy. Me and God, we're like this. I don't talk to him. He don't talk to me. We're good to go. No, no, you're not good to go at all. The Bible tells us, and you'll notice in the scriptures, in the, notice from Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, let's read it together. Here we go. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What we may actually be dealing with socially acceptable sins. I don't say it out loud. I'm, uh, I haven't got caught by the police or my wife. I'm good to go. No. God says the moment that you sin, that you told a lie, that you had the wrong thought, or that you did not help people who needed help. At that moment, you are separated from God. You say, uh, I don't feel separated. Who cares? The facts are the facts. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has to do with the facts. And you may now be living in a world where your feelings are so uh, poorly uh, adapted to truth that all you feel is what you want to feel. It's like eating salt on your food too much. You can't really taste anything without salt. Well, sin has so corrupted people that we can't even understand the truth of the facts of the matter. We only taste it the way we want to taste it. We don't realize what sin has done. It has separate, made a partition between us and our God. We are separated. You say, well, can you prove it? The Bible says it. We just read it. These are, this is the word of God. This is God's take on the matter. 
And so we got to deal with the facts of the matter. That's why a blood sacrifice was so essential. Because we're actually separated from God. You say, well, I pray. Sure. You may be talking to the wall. Doesn't mean the wall is listening. The fact that you think you're praying, that may be in your mind. But the fact of scripture is, did you notice what is said there? Did you see what it said there at the end of 59.2 of Isaiah? Look what it said there. Isaiah 59.2. So that he does not hear. You see that? You say, well, I mean God won't answer my prayers? There's one prayer he will answer. Forgive me, Lord. Until, you know, you say, well, what do you mean? Listen. You're all, you're all wonderful people, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, Tim wouldn't let, Randy wouldn't let anyone in that wasn't wonderful. I'm absolutely convinced of that. But let's say you beat me up and took my one $20 bill. And so you robbed me of 20 bucks. The next day you see me, you say, hey Sam, can you give me a $5 bill? I would say to you, before you ask for any blessings, we got to deal with the problem that you ripped me off yesterday. You got to deal with the sin before you look for the blessing. And so therefore, you may be praying, asking God for a blessing, but your sin has separated you from him. And therefore, you have to deal with the, the matters at hand. You have to deal with the problem that your sin has separated you from God. And therefore, he does not hear see that's why you need Jesus it's in Jesus Christ he hears you you say well I've been a believer for 25 years I'm good to go now if you've been a believer for 25 years you should recognize you have no hope but in Jesus it's only in Jesus Christ he sees you in his righteousness in Jesus Christ he hears you that's why when we pray we pray Bashem Yeshua in the name of Jesus amen we do not come in our own merit. We do not come before him in our own works. We do not come before him because we're nice people, because I'm a believer for 25 years or whatever. It's because we come before him in the name of Jesus. I have no righteousness of my own. I have no merit. There's no good thing in my flesh. I've been a believer for 40 million years, it feels like. I have nothing to commend me before God. You say, what about all those churches you planted? Well, those people you led to the Lord. That's the grace of God. I am what I am by grace. It's not me. I got nothing to offer. And the more mature I get, the more I realize it. And trust in Jesus all the more. For he must increase. And I must decrease. That's how it rolls. That's how it is. That's the only way it works. And so we want to understand the issue. This partition that comes but it's not just a partition you have to understand there's a penalty as well you say I thought separation from God was the dealie no 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 that, that that's bad news and if you don't trust in Jesus before you physically die you'll be eternally separated from God that's eternally bad news so we have hope while there's breath don't wait another minute You'll be arrogantly hoping for another chance. You don't know. I can't, no one promised you tomorrow. I can't even promise you this afternoon. 
Now is the day of salvation. Well, it may be called today. But the day of atonement deals with this issue. Because not only is there a partition by sin from God, but there's also a penalty uh, through sin. Because of sin. Uh, Ezekiel 18 verse 4. He says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son. The soul who sins will die. You say, what? 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 The rabbis, when they were studying this, uh, I do rabbinical studies for the sake of the gospel. Okay? I want to be able to answer all these things. The rabbis, when they studied, they said, well, that makes no sense. Because people die whether good or bad. Everyone dies. And so the rabbi said, gee, this must be talking about a second death. Exactly right. There is a death following your, spirit, your physical death. There is a second death when you're eternally separated from God. You say, well, I thought, is, won't I be judged in my death? No, no. Death, physical death is not a judgment. Physical death is a doorway. Listen, it says in Hebrew, if I walk over here, you're good to go? Not too nervous? You're all good? Okay. I, I got to walk around a little bit, you know what I mean? It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. I'll quote it for you. Hebrews 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto people to die once. Then comes the judgment. Did you get that? It is appointed unto man to die once. Then comes the judgment. Death is not the judgment. The judgment follows death. Death is a doorway. If you're a believer in Jesus, he took away the fear of death. Glory to God. Amen? Yes, you say, what do you mean? To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I I can't wait. If you're not yet a believer, you're going to have an understandable fear of death. Because judgment is to follow. And therefore, it's absolutely certain, not only is this partition by sin, but a penalty of judgment on every soul. And so you got to understand how that works. There are consequences to our actions. And therefore, what you sow, you're going to reap. You say, well, wow, really? Yeah, of course. Now listen, if someone was a killer, right? They killed someone and got capital punishment uh, and were killed. You say, well, that, that, that clears the balance. Sure, maybe in your mind. What if they killed 100 people? Their one death could never pay that bill. It's because God is a God of justice. That's why there is judgment to follow. Because even the serial killer will get the full measure of judgment. Because God is just. Will not the God, the judge of all the earth, do right? And so we want to understand not only the partition, but the penalty, but also the pardon. Glory to God for a pardon for all of us. Because all of us have sinned and fall short. But God has provided the blood atonement for those who will trust in Jesus. For those who trust in him. They'll have forgiveness for their sins. Notice the prophecy about this. Isaiah 53. 
You say, Sam, you're dealing with the Old Testament all the time. The whole Bible is inspired and profitable. It all speaks to the truth. The same truth the New Testament speaks of. Notice the prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and following. Read it with me. Here we go. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Lord, this is prophesied 700 B.C. In order to give us a, a heads up on what we would need. Now in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment, of course. Old Testament promise, New Testament fulfillment. Read with me from Romans chapter 5, verse 6. And while we were still helpless, at the right time, Messiah died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Is that good news? That's the greatest news you'll ever hear. Understand, the penalty of sin is absolute. But there's a pardon that's been offered. See, the day of atonement is the fulfillment of our lives when we understand it properly. Because it says not only is there a, a, a partition by sin, not only is there a penalty of sin, but there is a pardon. The blood offering had to be made in order for there to be atonement. And so that was picturing, foreshadowing, the final sacrifice of the Messiah. Whether it was Abraham, whether it was Moses, David, Daniel, Isaiah, whoever, all the sacrifices they made would have been no good whatsoever except for Jesus' final sacrifice. All those other sacrifices were good faith promissory notes. Good faith promissory notes that Jesus paid off on. And that's why Abraham was glad to see his day. That's why Moses was looking to Messiah. That's why all of us trust in that final sacrifice that Jesus made. You say, Day of Atonement is about, yes. This is why every first century believer, all the apostles, all celebrated because it spoke of our faith. Not only in the sacrifice. I want to say something real straight up now. The sacrifice of Jesus may not be any help to you at all. You say, well, what? <laughs> you got to understand the whole festival. Let's read on. I'm going to go back to Leviticus 23, the top of the page. I want you to read verse 29. Leviticus 23, 29. If there is any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from his people. You say, what in the world? What are you talking about? Well, we deal with the issue of humbling our soul. What it has to do with is recognizing our own emptiness. It's not pretending to be humble. It's not acting humble. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's recognizing our own emptiness that we have nothing to trust in. And when you recognize that, you are humble. 
And so we want to appreciate what faith is. Faith is recognizing I bring nothing to the table. And therefore all of us are called to humility. To recognize our only hope is not what we bring. But to humble ourselves is now to recognize our trust in what God has done. Our faith is what God has provided in the death, in that bloody sacrifice and the death of our Messiah. And so when we humble ourselves, we are expressing faith in what Jesus has done. You say, well, I sort of believed in Jesus just to kind of fill my repertoire of religious ideas. I mean, you know, I, 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 I read a lot. I believe in a lot of different things. So I also believe in Jesus. Doesn't help you at all. No, faith in Jesus is going to mean that you recognize nothing in yourself to help you. And therefore, that emptiness, that emptiness of your soul is going to therefore reach out for what God has done. Because you cannot trust in yourself. And so if you merely superficially believe in Jesus and not really humble yourself and put faith in Jesus, the death of Jesus does you no good at all and you are cut off from the people. You see what that said there? You will not have the blessings, the benefits of the death of Jesus unless there is that humbling, that recognition I bring nothing to the table. I cannot hope in myself. I cannot place any faith in myself. You say, well, I did that a long time ago. He must increase and you must. When you're growing in the Lord, hit more of him, less of you. You're going to be looking to his sacrifice for everything. God forbid I never tr- that I don't trust in him for everything. And therefore, I'll be growing in him. And in every area of my life, in my strong suits. You say, what do you mean? What's your strong suit? Good looks. <laughs> in my good looks. I've learned I can't trust in my good looks. So instead of my good looks, I look good on, I, looking unto Jesus. You say, and so I got to trust in him. My strong suits, whatever paid the bills, whatever got me some kind of validation, some attaboys or something like that. No, I need him desperately. I cannot trust in myself in my own strong areas. Those may be the things that keep me from God. And so therefore, as we grow in him, Every year, the Day of Atonement reminds us, emphatically reiterates and builds us up to trust only in the sacrifice that Jesus has made. I dare never to trust in myself. You say, but you're mature. I can't trust in my maturity. My maturity is trusting in Him. There's no maturity apart from trusting in Him. And so we want to appreciate the very issues that we deal with here in this matter. We recognize that we are going to trust in who he is, in this humbling of our souls before God. Another way of expressing our faith, our trust in Jesus, the Lord. And so in your outline there, you'll notice that we dealt with number one and two. Our humble repentance reveals 
faith in his sacrifice. And that's what our humble repentance will do as well. Trusting in who he is and what he alone can do for us. And now, in regards to our New Testament faith, the, the, the Day of Atonement strongly reminds us of the results, of the benefits. You say, well, what benefits? Isn't forgiveness a benefit? Yeah, sure. That's great. That's not all, though. Glory to God. There's more. You say, what else is there? I want you to read with me what it says in Leviticus 23, the last thing there. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 30 to 32. Leviticus 23, 30 to 32. Read it along with me, please. Here we go. As for any person who does any work on this same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generation in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at evening. From evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Wow, what's it talking about? When you recognize the sacrifice that's been made, and you, in your humility, recognizing there's nothing in your soul to trust in, and therefore placing your faith not in yourself, but in what God has provided, the result of that is rest. Rest. Rest for your soul. Peace with God. How do people have rest in their soul? How do they do that? It's by recognizing you don't have rest apart from your faith in Jesus. And if there are other things in your life, your escapist tendencies, all those things to kind of alleviate the stress and whatever else you're going through, all of that is vain. And therefore, as you grow in him, you realize the rest is found as a result of placing your faith in Jesus and him alone. Everything else, vanity, futility, a waste of time, money, and whatever else you got. And so we want to appreciate verse 30, the first thing we see in verse 30. We read it. It says there, any person who does any work on this same day, that person will destroy from among his people. What? Because by doing so, you're saying the work of God is not enough. You're denying God's work. That's what's being pictured there. And so you say, well, what do you mean? There's actual rest that is required for this eternal work of God. In other words, some of us, we might be thinking, well, I mean, I got to do a little something. I got to step up. I bring something to the table. I mean, I'm not all that bad. After all, I showed up on Sunday morning, gave up. Who knows what kind of cartoons or whatever else. This is a big sacrifice. And so, yeah, if you see this as a work and not worship, you're right. It's vanity. It's futility. It's like, you know, my brother Tim here, probably after the service, 
Uh, everybody knows how gracious Tim is, right? You don't realize how gracious. I'm going to tell you right now. Tim is so gracious. After the service, he's going to want to take me out to eat. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> and he is so gracious. He's so gracious. He's going to want to take me to a really good place. <laughs> and he is so gracious. He's going to want to pay for the whole thing. What a guy. Now, you fellas understand how this works, right? At the end of the meal, I'm going to feel like I got to step up. You know, I, got, I, I bring something to the table here. You know what I mean? And so I'll say, Tim, that's great, but I got the tip. And he'll say, no, Sam, I got the whole thing covered. See, that's exactly the grace of God in our Lord Jesus. God did everything, the once and for all atonement that we have in the Messiah is everything. But we feel like, I got to show that I can step up. I can do a few good works. I can do something and show that I'm not so bad. You know, I'm a pretty good person. And so we try to add a few works. But when you add any works to the final work of God in Jesus, you're saying he did not do enough. And you're denying the death of the Lord Jesus. That's what Moses was saying here. That if you do any works, you're denying the full atonement in the sacrifice. And you're cut off, destroyed. And so we want to be careful of any trust in ourselves, in any good works that we may have. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. That's a result of trusting in Jesus, not ourselves. And so we want to understand the difference. The day of atonement speaks of the actual need for rest, to rest in him and not in ourselves. Not feeling that I got to do the job. Trust in him. How many people understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is enough to get the work done? Raise your hand. You may need to go through some discipleship, some training in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you won't rest in yourself, but rest in him who got what it takes. Because the power of God, it fulfills the purpose of God for your life. And so you don't trust in your own works. You rest in his. And thereby faith in him, the Holy Spirit, finding you manageable, can now minister through you. And so we want to understand the difference as we grow in him. But the rest is there. And that rest is everything for our souls. Because that rest is actually what makes a difference in our lives. Now and forever as we humble our life and trust in him. And so we want to realize, Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Hebrews 4 verse 10, For the one who has entered God's rest has himself rested from his works. In other words, if you are trusting in Jesus, you cannot trust in yourself. It's one or the other. You say, well, I kind of had a 50-50 thing going on here. That's false religion. That's false. You still do not have that rest from God unless you're trusting 
in Jesus for all of your sins, all of your works, all of your life. And so some of us here may have been involved uh, with the Christian faith in many ways. But the one who is born again trusts in Jesus, in who he is and what he, not trusting in themselves in any way whatsoever. And so we want to appreciate why did the apostles and all the believers in the first century, why did they celebrate the Day of Atonement? Because they saw in Jesus the fullness of life. They saw that the Day of Atonement spoke of every aspect of our faith. That the full sacrifice has been made for my sins. And therefore, not trusting in myself, I trust wholly in what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as a result of that, I rest. That's where the rest of God comes for our soul. When we trust in what he has done for us. A continual rest, a total rest, an eternal rest. Now and forever. And so Tim's going to take me out to eat. You get to pay the whole thing. Because what a picture of my salvation. (laughs) Your faith is a picture as well. As you trust in Jesus. That is the testimony we have. That's why the Day of Atonement is so important to Bible believers and why every year we want to recognize these matters, to reorient us around the vital issues of our soul that the Day of Atonement pictures from beginning to end. Let's pray right now. As we bow our hearts before God, it's my custom to encourage each of us to give our hearts to the Lord, to grow just a bit more. Whether you're in the worship team or you're a visitor, I want you to yield your heart to God right now. I want you to close your eyes for the sake of concentrating, but open your heart to God. And perhaps you're here, but you have never truly trusted in what Jesus has done for you. Oh, you may have understood things in certain ways, but you never actually trusted in his atonement for your eternal life, for your forgiveness of sin. God wants you to do that right now. God wants you right now to trust in what he has done by recognizing you cannot trust in yourself, but humbling your heart, placing faith in what God has provided for you, that you might have that rest that relationship with God, that fellowship with God. Even as Jesus said, come unto me, O labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what he wants you to have right now. So God hears your heart right where you're seated. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If this prayer reflects the need of your soul to place your faith in Jesus... I want you to repeat it sincerely with me in your heart. God hears your heart. And by in so doing, placing your faith in Jesus. If you're already a believer, but you've been trusting in yourself, you've gotten away from 
the actual faith, rededicate yourself. Come back to him. Trust in him. Use this prayer to rededicate your life. For either need, God hears your heart. In your heart, repeat with me this very simple prayer. Dear God, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my fears. Forgive me for my habits. Forgive me for my anger. Cleanse my sins away through the blood of Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And while everybody, everyone else's eyes are closed in prayer, everyone else continuing in prayer, I want to pray for you right where you are. If you prayed that prayer with me to have Jesus as your Savior, to place your faith in what he has done for you right where you are, just raise your hand once right where you're seated so I can pray for you right where you are. Just raise your hand once so I can pray for you. Yes, I see your hands. Yes, sir, I see your hand as well. Absolutely. Yes, I see your hands. By raising your hand, you're saying, yes, I'm placing my faith. Amen. I see your hand as well and yours. Right, we are just raising your hand. By doing so, you're saying, yes, I'm making Jesus my Savior. Amen. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you too in the back. I see you. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes, my dear, I see you over there on the other side. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Father, you see our hands. You see our hearts. You know us and you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even now, confirm to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Knowing the truth of your love, the fullness of our salvation. Because of what you have done for us in Jesus. And therefore, we trust in him. And now we want to share with others this great news. Knit our hearts together in love. The name of our God and Savior would be exalted, lifted up, and magnified. Add your blessing to our hearts, our homes, our congregation, our community. That Jesus would be exalted. And that this day of atonement coming up, many Jewish people would hear the gospel and be saved. Bless, I pray. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen, amen. God bless you.